Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. I was just trying to win hockey games and build teams, but they carried them 20, 30 years down the road. And the winner of the 2012 Jack Adams Award is Ken Hitchcock. They are Legends of the Game. Brought to you by Touchback Safety, Alberta's number one training provider. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, welcome everybody, 1234. Boy, nice job by Imogen putting that together. Ken Hitchcock, you heard it, is our guest. Legends of the Game. Brought to you in part by Touchback Safety. And we welcome uh, back to Oilers now, the third winningest coach in NHL history. Now in a consultant role for the Edmonton Oilers organization. Ken, how are you doing? Good. I'm senior advisor. That's your official title, senior advisor? <laughs> I have no idea, Bob. I just I come and give my opinion and we have a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun working with Ken Holland right now, to be honest with you. Do you, ever, do you remember the baseball player Junior Felix that played for – anytime somebody brings up senior and junior, it reminds me. Junior Felix, and they may have lied about his age, so he might have been a little bit older than people thought, but when he first came up, he crushed about a 475-foot home run. And one of the press box wags and one of the broadcasters said, if that's Junior Felix, I'd hate to see how far Senor Felix could hit it. But I digress. So you're, you're the uh, senior advisor. Ken, we'd be remiss. Look, I, 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 we're going to talk a bit about your career, about your start, about your journey, all that kind of stuff. We just had Mark Spector on the show. Uh, Marcus Leto, the agent for Yessa Poliarvi, made some comments yesterday. He's kind of backtracked on, on what Speck says he told him uh, back on June the 19th. At that time, uh, you know, Mar- Mark wrote that Marcus Leto said he will not be back at Edmonton this year. Leto is saying that he never publicly said that and that they'd be playing in Europe this season. Um, you coached Yessa for half the season. Uh, I'm, can you maybe educate our listeners in terms of how much time you guys invested working with this player here? Well, I think the time we invested was what what you do with any young player. I, I think uh, one, one of the one of the balance acts that gets played out all the time is what a player was as a young player, and then what he is as an NHL player. And sometimes they're not the same. And then it's responsibility, um, is it? And that's when you get into uh, situations where we're into it now, and that is that um, Jesse had a, a, a great junior career. He was a dominant junior player. And sometimes that transfers immediately into the NHL, and sometimes it doesn't. And there's the growth phase he's going through right now as a player. And uh, it's whether, you know, our feeling was that until that growth phase is there, um, he's not going to, he's not going to be in a position to be a top six forward. So 
we we want to get in a position to give them as much ice as we can, but there's also the growth phase that we need to go through with them. And uh, you know, from what I read, he, he wasn't he wasn't happy with Todd and myself, um, and didn't see him being able to grow into uh, the role that he probably had as a junior player. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and, and people will say, well, what about the American League? And that's no longer an option now because he would have to clear waivers moving forwards. Of course, the Oilers have qualified him as well. This is not your first barbecue with experiences like this with players, is it? I mean, Ken, when you've coached as long as you have, um, and the rules have changed a bit because of the CBA and that sort of thing, but you, you, you have had some challenges along the way. You've, let's put it this way. You've probably had some guys that have significantly exceeded expectations of what people thought players were capable of. And conversely, you've had scenarios where you've had guys that came in with huge reputations, and, and, and some guys never lived up to the ultimately and fulfilled that destiny. Is that fair? Yeah, and, and the term in the NHL is the player needs a second or third opinion, and so does the team. And you get in situations like that all the time where you don't see the potential of a player until he's on sometimes his second, third team. And uh, uh, there's a lot more of that that goes on now in the National Hockey League than ever before. There's a lot of players that get transferred out early in their careers. And uh, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So uh, I, I think for us, you know, the coach's attitude is in order to play uh, in the NHL, it's, it's a game about trust at the NHL level. And it's not a player's skill we trust. It's his work and his determination. And that was never a question with Jesse. Jesse was a trusted third-line player for both Todd and myself. And it's whether he can get to the next level. And I'm still hopeful that he wants to do it with us but um, you know I think that's where the problem arises is that you know we're trying to get him in the league and we trust him so he gets to play and then the rest is earned as as he starts to grow as a skilled player like he was in junior but he in, in all in both cause in my opinion he wasn't there yet um and he needed to grow into that offensive top six role. But we still were allowed to, uh, and, and, and capable of playing him because he was, he was effective as a third-line guy. Ken, it's not just the coach's trust that the player, a player has to gain, right? I mean, you, you know, people say, well, why wouldn't you just throw him in the top? He's got, does he not also have to earn the trust of his actual teammates and some of those guys who are already in those existing roles? Yeah, it's... It, but, but the coach starts by putting out the trust first. And, and, and I said this before, when I, when, I, when I was here with him, and I think Todd felt the same way, he's got a great stick. And he, he's able to use his stick from a defensive role. And, and he's, he's, he's smart defensively. So you felt like you could trust him on the ice um, when, the, when the game was on the line. And, uh, you know, who knows if he how he would have been if he would have finished the season with us. I, I'm not sure if he would have moved up the ladder or that's where he would be at, but we had no issue playing him in, as a third-line player, but but the other part is the growth phase, and 
And that's the that's that delicate balance that you get in on that growth phase. You don't know. Sometimes it takes years for a player to get up to speed offensively in this league. And I mean three, four, five years before he's able to reach his potential offensively. And it's not like you haven't had – we're joined by Ken Hitchcock – in our Legends of the Game series, you have had success with Finnish players. You had one of the best two-way Finnish players of all time, right, Yuri Lehtinen? Can you? Um, I just well, I think Yuri Lehtinen, right? For me, yeah, Yuri. But Yuri, Yuri was the most complete player on the planet. I, I don't think, other than hello, how are you? That's all I did with Yuri Lehtinen. I don't think I even coached him, Bob. I don't think I said a word to him. Really? He was so good. And he came, he he was so good so early in his career that he, he to me, was a perfect two-way player. Uh, But you don't don't find those players anymore. Those are are once-in-a-million players now. And, um, you know, Yuri was well-coached as a young player. um, And he was a guy for me that, that I think a lot of us felt like he was, he was ready to play from the day he came over, and he was that good that early. We're joined by Ken Hitchcock in our Legends of the Game series. We're going to go to break for uh, 90 seconds. When we come back for touchback safety, we're going to start the journey and how it all got started, how a guy how a guy out of Edmonton ends up being the third all-time winningest coach because he took a little bit of an atypical path. This is Oilers Now. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. And we're joined by Edmonton sporting icon Ken Hitchcock, the third winningest coach in the National Hockey League. Uh, I'll remind you that some guests in Oilers now receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie, Brendan, and the staff that Oilers now sent you. All right, Ken, let's get into your journey. At what point did you start thinking about coaching? How old were you? What were you doing? Actually, I started out as a stick boy and... uh I, I ended up, uh, one of the coaches got sick, and it, it, I ended up coaching half a year in Junior B in Sherwood Park, and then the following year, I went into midget hockey. Um, but I never, I, I, I got into coaching because I was so competitive as a kid, I loved winning, and I got in for the wrong reasons, and it wasn't until... Uh, I started going to Claire, George, Dave's, Dave King's um, symposiums that I found a higher purpose to coaching. I, I was in it because, you know, quite frankly, I loved winning and I loved the feeling of winning. And um, I thought I could make a difference. But I was in it. There was a much higher purpose. And uh, I didn't. I didn't find that until probably my fourth or fifth year of coaching. We're joined by Edmonton sporting icon Ken Hitchcock, Bob Stauffer with you. Uh, you coached the Sherwood Park Midget, uh, uh, the, the chain. They were double-A, and then they became a triple-A. The first triple-A game played in the province of Alberta was August 29th 
1982. Guy Godowski was my center with the Southside Athletic Club. I didn't finish the game, Ken. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, uh, you were you were already at that stage by 1980. How long had you been coaching the chain? Because you were well-known for me in hockey. Like, people knew you as Hitch. Obviously, you were working at United Cycle at the time. But you were, you were certainly seen as a guy that had a, a a bit of an aura already and i mean i'm i'm thinking of when i was you know i was 16 at that time i'm just thinking I'm, I'm, did you did you feel that way when you were coaching the chain at that stage uh not really um i i felt i felt like our program in short park was second to none you know know what bob we we used to have 125 kids try out for the hockey club I mean, that, that's an amazing amount of players. And there were so many good players in Short Park, and we had such depth that I, I, I was lucky uh, being the coach of the, of the midget team uh, because we had so much, so much depth to pull from. But what happened was, as, as time went on, we started to – there was a mystique that came over uh, the franchise, and we became kind of the – figurehead of all of minor hockey in Short Park and and that's when you could feel it growing. You know, when you're playing midget hockey and, and you're playing on a Sunday night and the building's sold out, uh, you know you got something going pretty good and, and that's what happened there is our program because we had so much depth and we won so many games because of the depth, it started to grow in mystique and uh, and then we started to be able to fund and help other teams in minor hockey in Sherwood Park because of the, the program that, that uh, some of the managers like Phil Clark and like Chuck Gale had put together uh, in, in that program. Well, you only went 575 and 69 during your 10-year run with the uh, Sherwood Park uh, chain gang. Kamloops Blazers, how does that happen for you? Did you push hard for that opportunity? No, but a guy pushed for me, a fellow named Bruce Harrelson. He phoned me up when I was working at the store, and he said, Hitch, he says, I think Bill LaForge is going to get the job in Vancouver, yeah. and you should apply for the job. And I didn't even know you needed a resume. And I did the resume in pencil on the flight to Kamloops for the interview. Wow. And I swear to this day, Bob, the only reason I got the job was I underbid everybody. I didn't think I had the credentials. I was a minor hockey coach. The other six guys that were applying for the job all were either in major junior or former major junior coaches. And, you know, they say it's not true that I, I got it on credentials. But um, the one thing I felt comfortable in Kamloops was the board of directors felt like I to me felt like minor hockey board of directors I felt very comfortable with that group of men and uh, I thought that that kind of salted it for me interview wise because it felt very familiar and and uh, it's the only time I've ever applied for a job uh, in hockey uh, to do that type of interview and uh, like I said I I didn't even know you had to bring a resume with you yeah uh, Bruce Harrelson was he is he the guy the scout for Detroit is that the same guy yeah, and he was with the Oilers at that time, yep. uh, and, and then he went from the Oilers, and he's been, he's been with the Detroit Red Wings for 
almost 30 years. He's been with them a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so you you, you have all the success in Kamloops, uh, and they were called Little Montreal. They eventually won Memorial Cups after you were already uh, into uh, the pro. How, just and you know this is this it's an interesting journey for you Ken you're a heavier set guy okay and that was a much less politically correct time than now were there times where you where you felt like you know there was you were maybe unfairly judged based upon you know were people that superficial in the industry in hockey at that time that maybe sort of slowed your progress down as a coach you know what? I don't think they slowed it down. Uh, I, I think, quite frankly, I was lucky to get out of junior hockey. And I loved it in junior hockey, don't get me wrong. But to me, the, the reason that I went to the NHL was because of one guy, Russ Farwell. And Russ was, at that time, the manager in, in Seattle, and he got the general manager's job in Philadelphia. And Russ knew me from coaching coaching against him in the Western Hockey League, I probably would have been in junior hockey a long, lot longer. I, I had, every day I went to work, I felt like I had, because I, I, I didn't look at it from a size standpoint. I looked at it from I'd never played the game at a high level. I stopped playing in, at juvenile, yep. and, um, and I never played the game at a high level, and I had to prove myself, and I had to show people that I had the knowledge and the wherewithal for people to believe in what I was selling, and I didn't, I didn't view my size like other people maybe did. Right. But I sure as heck viewed not not being a not being a, a major junior or a tier two player as a real drawback because uh, uh, you know for me to be believable, I had to show them that I had the knowledge that other player other coaches that were former players had from just being a player yeah you know what ken i'll take it one step further like i would say if you play in the nhl you it fast tracks your opportunities to be a coach and if you don't make it to the nhl even if you're a guy that's spent you know played 600 games in the minors and grinded and grinded and grinded you have to work that much i don't think that's changed that much in the business do you no no you know there's it's the same as winning I, I never thought, I never thought anything. When we won the Stanley Cup in Dallas, I never thought it would be such a big part of my resume moving forward. But right. every time, every time I went somewhere—Philadelphia, Columbus, St. Louis—it's here's the former Stanley Cup champion, Coach Ken Hitchcock. I never thought it'd be such a big part of my resume or 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 a resume in general because I, we just thought it was the natural evolution of the growth of our team. I didn't know I'd have, I, I would uh, care about it for the next 20 years. I never thought about that. So you go to the Flyers as an assistant coach. How do you end up in Dallas? Uh, you know what? On the very last day, um, they let the, some coaches go uh, after our third year. And uh, they were bringing in, actually, they were bringing in Terry Simpson as the head coach who was in Prince Albert. And on the very last day, I had a window in my contract where if I wasn't coaching, I would be scouting. And on the very last day, I got a call from Les Jackson, who at that time was in Billings. And it, uh, he, had, he was part of the Minnesota franchise 
that was moving to Dallas. And he said, Bob Ganey's looking for a coach at the International Hockey League level uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Would you be interested in applying? And I said, I'll drive out there. And that's exactly what I did. I drove, I drove, I dropped my car off and then took a flight into Mini and I interviewed with Bob. And, uh, and then a week later I was on my way to Kalamazoo and, and I, I, I loved it. I loved my experience there. To me, that's, that's as pure a coaching as you can get at the American League or the International Hockey League level. You know, in junior, it's 24 hours. You're with the players all the time or you're, you're either working with them in schools or you're babysitting them at night, whatever. But at, at, at that international or American League level, you're coming to the rink to coach, and that's your job. And I spent uh, two and a half years with Kalamazoo before I got the call to go to Dallas and loved every minute of it. Was there one specific humorous moment you work, uh, you remember from the IHL where you just said, this is so typical minor league hockey? Um, there was a lot of them. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I remember uh, we had St. Patrick's Day game in uh, Kalamazoo, and it was green ice. And they put the wrong pigment in the paint. And uh, and halfway through the first period, both teams were green. And nobody could tell who was on what team. <laughs> and... and it was it was hilarious. Our the equipment was wrecked. The, the sweaters were wrecked. Uh, the socks were wrecked. The skates were all damaged, and uh, the building was sold out. It probably still gets sold out on St. Patty's Day games, but it was it was funny because there was a wrong mix of pigment in the in the paint, and uh, next thing you know. Both teams look exactly the same. This is the debut of our Legends of the Game series with Edmonton sporting icon Ken Hitchcock. We'll talk about Ken's time in Dallas and other NHL stops and wrap up with some thoughts on the Oilers in uh, the second half hour of this interview. Legends of the Game brought to you by Touchback Safety. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Kerry McCarthy. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Soffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Second hour of Oilers Now, Legends of the Game, brought to you by Touchback Safety. Oilers Now for Digitex. Buy or lease your next office network printer from the Digitex.ca e-commerce store. No need to spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Your all-in-one convenient location, Digitex.ca. Digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology, software, IT, and supplies. Legends of the Game, our guest, Ken Hitchcock, who's been patiently waiting on the phone for us for a couple of segments. Um... And we're going to go right back to our River Cree Resort and Casino hotline. Rejoin Ken Hitchcock. Thank you, Ken, for being uh, patient. Uh, we're getting texts coming in from the guys that are junior operators as well as uh, uh, media colleagues, and uh, they're enjoying this segment with you. So hopefully the next half hour keeps her going. Um, Let's let's do this. Um, you, you become you're, – you're coaching in the IHL. It's a great place to learn. You get that opportunity to be an NHL head coach. How nervous were you when you finally got that chance for the first time talking in front of those players at the NHL level? 
I, I don't think I was nervous. I was humiliated in the game. Uh, the first game I coached was against Scotty, and that's when Detroit was flying. And they never even gave us the damn puck the whole game. And uh, I think they beat us 4 or 5 nothing at home. And I, I left the game uh, uh, when I was driving back uh, to the condo that they had set up. I thought, oh, I said, this is a level I've never seen before. That's a skill set I've never seen before. I knew a lot of the players in Dallas from being at training camp with them, but I had no idea how good Detroit was because you can't recognize that stuff on TV. And we didn't play him in exhibition. And it was a major wake-up call because they were so much better than our team and, and so much better than most of the NHL at that time. So you, you came in, uh, what, the final 30 games or so, 95-96? Correct, yep. And then you guys have that big quantum step forward in the 96-97 regular season, which sets up the memorable series with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I, I recall one humorous story about just, and you, I, I've quoted you on it and put it out on Twitter, that when you played Edmonton, you didn't just play the Oilers, you played the whole damn city. And you have one story that just makes me shake my head every time when you tell it. Um, so have at her just about when you realize the intensity of uh, playing against the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club. Yeah, it was, we were staying at the Hotel Mac, and we we flew in. Series was tied 1-1. And uh, as the coaching staff went to get a coffee and we were, we were going to see if we were going to make any lineup changes uh, and uh, we walked and this guy was sitting on a grate and the great steam was coming out of the grate and uh, I, I gave the guy 20 bucks and he looked up at me and he said thanks Hitch and I hope the orders kick your ass and it was like whoa even the homeless people are not cheering for us we could be in big trouble here and it was a and Danny warned me Two or three times, he said, "Would you play a Canadian team, especially teams like Edmonton? You, you're not just playing the team; you're playing the whole city. And until you figure that out, you're going to have a tough time beating that team. And that series that that Todd scored in overtime was the biggest wake-up call I got in coaching because um, you can prepare your team X's and O's all you want, Bob." But unless you prepare your team emotionally to go the distance in a big, big way, uh, you're going to play against a team that it just means more more to. And for us that year, the way Edmonton played, it meant more to them. And they were willing to go further than we were. And it taught us a lesson because we carried that lesson for the next four years. Yeah, I, I, even was it game three or game four when you were up 3 nothing on them and you talk about momentum and energy and I just I was actually working on the Dallas broadcast in the truck and when they came back on you and got those three goals in what two minutes in the final six minutes of the game or whatever it was the building was our truck was reverberating underneath uh, the building like it was unbelievable I can't imagine what it would have been like on the bench during that on the bench the bench uh, there's two maybe three cities in the league at that time. Now, these are older buildings. They're right. all gone now. But there were three cities that the bench would shake. 
and Edmonton was one of them. And the bench would literally shake uh, during playoffs. And it was it was funny because we played Edmonton during the regular season, and the building wasn't like that. But it was at a whole other temperature during the playoffs. And like I said, it was an eye-opener, and it was a, a lesson that I never forgot. All right. So there's a saying for players, sometimes you need to uh, lose before – you, you know, and, and that's the precipice for, or the starting point for learning how to win. Do you agree with that sometimes? Is it easier to, put it this way, is it easier for a coach to sell a message when you go through a defeat like that where you're better on paper than a team, but you don't get to where you want to go, and, uh, you know, you can build off it carrying forward? Well, I, I think you have to meet adversity. As a coach, you wouldn't like, you don't like losing because the feeling you get as a coach is you might never get back to the table again but you there's the price to pay to win in the National Hockey League in the playoffs is so high I think for most people that haven't been in a game before it would make you really uncomfortable looking at what the players are willing to do and sacrifice to get the, get their name on the cup and I, I think it was an eye-opener for me. I saw people in that Edmonton series for the Oilers put their face in front of pucks. Uh, they, they sacrificed their body at a higher level. I thought we were a deeper team, but they made more sacrifices. And it was, it was a big-time lesson for me as the head coach. And I'd never seen a team play like that with that level of desperation. And... Uh, uh, we we didn't, uh, you know, you get beat sometimes, and sometimes the team's a little bit deeper, but it was a long time before people out-sacrificed us. Yeah. Uh, you win the Cup in 1999, so when you're coaching those 10 years at the Sherwood Park chain, did you ever think it was going to be possible one day that you were going to win the Stanley Cup as a head coach? You know what? I, I, I looked at it like the players did. I looked at that Cup as the evolution of a team coming together. And I looked at it like it was ours. And I looked at it from the start of that season with the lesson we learned losing in the game in the, in the conference finals to Detroit the year before. It was a really interesting dynamic, Bob. We, we could beat Colorado. We couldn't beat Detroit. And Colorado could beat Detroit. So the, the three of us were dominating the scene over that six-year span in the West. And whoever played each other, somebody was going down. And the two years that we went uh, to the Cup Final, 99 and 2000, Detroit got knocked off. Uh, and, and we couldn't beat Detroit in the playoff series, but we could always beat Colorado. And... and Colorado was the team that was knocking off Detroit for us. So it was a really interesting dynamic, but I really felt like when Detroit got knocked out that we were going to win the Stanley Cup. Which one do you think about more? The Stanley Cup championship victory in 99 or, conversely, the loss uh, to New Jersey? Oh, for sure, the loss. And, and, and there's a saying, and coaches, we laugh about it, but for in our business, in, in the 
in the National Hockey League, all winning is is relief, and and losing is just misery. And I can remember that game six like it was yesterday. I can remember shifts. I can remember scoring chances, saves, missed opportunities. That was – I've coached three desperate hockey – I've coached in three hockey games that were so desperate that you yourself weren't even emotional in them, and that was one of them. And the other two were in Olympic games. But I've never seen a hockey game get played at that level of desperation by both teams. And and I, I remember that game like it was yesterday. Let's do a couple quick hitters for you. Uh, what do you remember about coaching in Philadelphia? I loved it, uh, but first thing for me as the head guy was how much media responsibility was there. There was nine newspapers at that time following us and three beat writers. Even Stephen A. Smith was a columnist that wow. was following us around. And it was a big job handling the media because it was a newspaper town and it was a newspaper business. And sometimes the, it, it, the, the news conferences were long and it, it took a lot of work. Number two, um, passionate sports Philadelphia fans. I've never seen a city in North America so passionate about their sports teams. And it was there was the Sixers, the Eagles, the Phillies, uh, or, or the Flyers. I've never seen fans that follow their team in detail like that city did. And uh, it, it's a place, quite frankly, where some coaches are uncomfortable um, because of the stress and pressure that goes with that. But I, I, I had a I had a great time there and. And I, I I loved I loved the passion, and you could you could just feel the passion in everything in that city, and uh, and it was you could feel it on a daily basis. You go to Columbus, and you mention Claire Drake and George Kingston and uh, Dave King. Those guys were educators. Did you have to educate a bit in Columbus when you went there? You know what? Um. To me, I, I I feel like on a personal basis, I I I've had two jobs that on on my own personal satisfaction, uh, where I feel proud of the job I've done along with the coaching staff, and that was the year we made the cup in Columbus, and the year and last year with Edmonton. Those two years where you feel so proud of your coach's staff that you did everything you could to keep the train on the tracks. And those two seasons, I was really proud of those two seasons. Last year with the oil, and then that, that one year that we made the playoffs in Columbus. And uh, and we, we did a lot of things to keep people's interest. And we pulled a lot of rabbits out of the hat to keep things going. And, and um, you know, we, we, neither team was deep enough. Right. Uh, but, but both, you know, we, we, our top players, like you look at the top players that year in Columbus, they all had career years. 
top eight or nine, ten guys had career years. And you look at last year with Edmonton, our top players all had career years, and it was a fun group to work with. We're talking to Jack Adams, award winner, uh, most recently an Oilers head coach, won a Stanley Cup with Dallas. Ken Hitchcock, Legends of the Game, will continue after this. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Soffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Our inaugural guest in this feature, brought to you by Touchback Safety, Ken Hitchcock. Most recently, the Oilers head coach. And we're going to go back to Ken, who's been kind enough to uh, do an hour-long interview over the phone with us and sit through the uh, commercial breaks. Uh, Ken, just before we get to your time in St. Louis, you you mentioned three games played at a level that were off the charts. You said one was, uh, you know, the the Stanley uh, Game 6 of that series between New Jersey and Dallas. Uh, The other two happened in the Olympics, you mentioned. So which games were they? Uh, You know what, Bob? It was in, in 2002... We played a, uh, a tournament game uh, in Salt Lake against the Czechs. The Czechs were, and we tied 3-3. The Czechs were flying, and that was their run from 98 to 2002 that they were on. Right. They, they'd won Olympic gold. They'd won world championships. That, that game was just incredible. And then the other one for me was the gold medal game against the Americans in 2010. That was played at a level that was so desperate that you felt like it could crack either way on on every shift. I know you said this once in a coach's seminar at the university back in the lockout year. You said one of the things you learned from that 0-2 year, uh, sometimes you have to back off the gas pedal on the players because they played so much hockey during the regular season, they didn't need to be killed with practice at the Olympics that year. That's what won us the gold medal. And quite frankly, that's what lost the Swedes the gold medal. We, we, we never practiced. We pulled everybody off the ice. And you got to remember, this is coming in after 9-11. Right. So the security on a 10-minute drive took an hour. Between you, you had to go through three security zones, and every time they, they got on your bus with dogs and, 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 uh, and security people. And it took you a long time to get to the rink. And I really believe to this day that I, I couldn't believe the Swedes were playing a noon game against Belarus and they weren't getting back to the hotel uh, or to the condos set up uh, for the dorms. They weren't getting back there till 11 o'clock at night. They had gone for half an hour skate and there were uh, security issues in getting back into the uh, dorm facility and the players were angry and perturbed and um I think it had a major impact in the game, quite frankly. People might not remember back in 02, Sweden beat Canada. I think Eric Brewer got one of the goals, but it was like, uh-oh, especially after what happened in 98. Ken Hitchcock, our guest for touchback safety, legends of the game. Ken, uh, a thought on watching several of your former players win the Stanley Cup in St. Louis. Was it just a matter of time before that group was able to put it together? I don't know about a matter of time. First of all, I was really proud of them. You know, we were there at the grassroots first six years. Uh, that group of defensemen, six of those seven guys were in baby steps when we first started, and, and we took chances uh, with a couple of younger guys that were green, like like Edmondson and Perrieco and even Bertuzzo, and we just played them. And we played the heck out of them, and they grew quickly. And I was really proud. I think there was ten players that... I'd coached there, and I was really proud 
for those guys that I knew. But I think it also shows you that um, Doug was willing to make some big changes. He really changed the dynamic of the team by those players he traded and brought in. Uh, uh, you know, they were traded for and brought in, especially at the center ice position yeah. with Bozak, Shen, and, and O'Reilly. And he recognized that. And I thought those guys made a huge difference. And But for the 10 guys that had been there, we played incredible hockey and got beat by two goaltenders um, in in, uh, in in Crawford and in Quick. And we, I thought in both cases we were a better team, but their goalies won the series. And that's what was so nice to see Bennard do that and, and get uh, get Dallas uh, or get St. Louis back on on track there. Yeah, well, I mean, and Bennington was almost a forgotten piece, and I mean, they dumped Berglund and uh, Sabotkin got back Ryan O'Reilly. That was a pretty good deal. I, I know you have time for both those players, but you get Ryan O'Reilly back. That's a home run deal. All right, Ken, we got about two minutes left. Um, what was it like coaching Connor and Leon this year? And, and we'll start with them just because they had such an, I mean, two of the top four scorers in the league. Leon's the only 50 goal scorer in the league. For you, what was that like? Well, first of all, Bob, I'm a hockey fan, and and I recognize last year was frustrating for the fans. But I got to tell you, as a hockey fan, I would pay anything to watch those two guys play. To me, in in Leon, you've got potentially the best 200 foot player in the world. If he keeps working in his game, he could become that. And Connor is must watch every shift. And to me, as a fan of the game. You get so excited watching players like that play, and I would pay anything to watch those guys play on a nightly basis. And I, I sincerely feel that way. That I recognize, um, you know, we're we're in that phase where we're trying to get back into the playoffs. But in the meantime, those two guys are worth it every night to come and watch. Yeah. Um. One final one for you, and we've only got about a minute left. So is your role finalized right now, senior advisor? I don't know. All I know <laughs> is that it's the first time first time I've ever been involved during um, training, during development camp and then free agency, and I now know why a guy like Kenny has the reputation he has because I've never seen a person grind like that. Uh, and I've never seen a person include people like he does. And uh, I was so impressed with the way he operates and the way he grinds. He grinds for answers. He grinds agents. He grinds for money. He just grinds. And I think this team is in great hands because he's going to turn over every rock, every stone possible to make sure we're competitive every night. Ken, we appreciate you doing this. Thanks for your time. We'll touch base down the road, okay? All right. You take care. You bet. That is Ken Hitchcock. He is our inaugural guest on the Legends of the Game series presented by Touchback Safety. We're going to have seven more weeks with this on Wednesday. There's going to be an Edmonton connection. Uh, several of our guests will be Oilers players. Uh, not And they're not all going to have the... Uh, 
the resume of Ken Hitchcock, but they're going to be unique to this market, and Ken is unique to this market. And for all those guys, we've received several texts on our Heartland Ford text line at 630-630. Bob, I played for Ken in the 70s in Sherwood Park, or I played for Ken in Kamloops in the uh, uh, late 1980s, and uh, it's great. You're ha- I mean, it's quite the story, really, when you think about third all-time uh, winning this coach in NHL history. What did you say the first time you went up against Scotty Bowman in Detroit? Didn't go well. It was an interesting conversation. Uh, I can tell you, the benefits of traveling on the road and uh, having a morning coffee and kicking it back at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning and the education that you get from that is quite special. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Carrie McCarthy. When we come back, NHL Today for Elite Promotional Marketing. A whole bunch of your texts. Some of you want to revisit the Pugliarvi conversation. Some of you want to talk about Hitch. Some of you want to talk about Michael Furland. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.